You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Oh, it's good to see you guys. It feels like it's been a while. It's only been like two weeks, but it feels like it's been a while. I hope you had great holidays. Um, I forget what, who I named the crazy uncle, Uncle Rick, maybe. I hope you didn't have too much interaction with him, but it was good. I hope it was restful. It's always good to start a new year well, um, and that's what we want to do here today. So I'm really excited about next week. I am excited about today, but starting next week, uh, we are starting a Galatians series. So if you spent much time in the book of Galatians, um, it, is, it is chock full of good stuff. It's challenging. It's encouraging. It kind of runs that balance of punching you in the face and then hugging you afterwards, you know. Um, and it's, uh, it's just so good. So I would encourage you even now, even though we're going to start next week with an intro and kind of context and that kind of stuff, like just start steeping yourself in Galatians. Just read through it. It's only six chapters. Uh, you can listen to it on a daily basis or take it verse by verse. Um, so we're going to spend some time in there. So I'm really excited. Um, but before we launched into a series, before we got into anything of the new year, um, we felt like it was just really important to just come together as a family and just have uh, a day of vision, have a day of a Sunday to start the new year where we really look at what was plastered up there years and years ago and has always been the foundational vision of Hub City Church um, and just rest in that, to look at that and say, like, man, if we don't understand the why of anything we do, then this whole year we're going to try stuff, new needs are going to come up, there's going to be new things that we want to try, there's going to be stuff that the church needs are going to arise, we want to meet those, um, but if we forget the why, if we forget the heart behind it all, then it's just stuff we're doing. We're just a club that's trying to be good humans and it's good, but if we can come to that and know what that is deep in our hearts, then everything we do is in step with that. So today is more of an encouraging, let's get to the vision, let's just, let's refocus ourselves. and hopefully if you've been a part of Hub City for a while, there's not, nothing should be crazy new in here. It should be more of a just re-foundational of why we do what we do. So today is more of like a vision and mission um, time for us to center that. Um, what's cool is we didn't just make up those words. You know, the, the founding pastors of Hub City didn't just be like, what are cool words, you know? Like the restorative nature of God, that there's a deep history of God restoring the world to himself. It's deep, deep theology. It's something that we are absolutely a part of. It's something that God is doing, will do fully, and we buy in without that. And so that's where I want to start today is kind of re-putting ourselves, re storying ourselves back into the big story of restoration that God has for his people. As we say, we are the people of God. So I'm going to pray, and then I want to re-foundation us into that so we can move forward with that vision. So if you would pray with me uh, before we go. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for um, your vision, God. This isn't just something we're trying to do without you or using you as a platform to meet our own ends. Um, God, this is your vision. There's a long history of you restoring your people back to you and working in and through your people. And we as a church want to be your gathered people that are surrendered to you. They're saying, we're not trying to do this. We're not trying to save the world. We're not trying to do all this stuff just because uh, we think we're good. Um, but we believe that you have saved us. We believe and announce 
to the world that you are Lord, and we want to fall in step with that and be your disciples. So would you disciple us today in your word um, and speak beyond anything that we can say um, and deep into our hearts. We love you. We give you this time. We pray in your name. Amen. So I uh, just want to walk through some stuff. Uh, some of this will just kind of begin at the beginning, and we'll just walk through. Um, but I think we can all agree God created everything. If, you, if you're in here, there's some level uh, where you probably understand, like, there is a creator God um, who created everything. Everything in the universe was creatively designed by and for God. That's what our scriptures teach us. Uh, which right there uh, might be old news, maybe some are even skeptical of like, well, I don't know, old earth, new earth, all stuff, we're not getting into that. But we just can say there was a creator God. But the interesting thing to us is that we hear that and we think, okay, that's what our Bible says. The ancient people have many creation stories. Uh, we don't have time to get into it, but I would encourage you, I love listening to the, the Bible Project podcast. I know there's a lot of Bible Project fans out here, and there's other resources, but they're just great. Um, and they have a podcast, it's about six or seven episodes, and it's on ancient cosmologies, so how other ancient people believe the world came to be, and it is mind-blowing. It is, it is a total nerd out, so if you love that stuff, like, go for it, it's incredible. Um, it's about seven episodes, I think, uh, but it gets into, like, how did the Egyptians believe the world began? How did the Babylonians, the Assyrians, Persians, and it's fascinating. So when you realize that there were a lot of other cultures, a lot of other people groups that had creation stories. They had their version of whatever God came and created the world. Most of them were in violence. Most of them were fighting this kind of good versus evil or this God who thinks, well, I can do it. So he comes in and kind of wipes everyone out and then rules, that kind of thing. It's really fascinating to get into. So when you read it with the lens that there was an ancient people, an ancient Israel people that were taught their created God, their creator God, story, origin of the world, it's really fascinating to, to actually juxtapose it against all the other fables, all the other ones that are like, well, our God did this, our God did this, and you look at this God in the scriptures, and you say, okay, it's not just one of the fables, it's actually a good God, a good God that created everything out of nothing because of love. Like, there wasn't a battle, there wasn't this big bloodshed, there wasn't a God who's like, well, I can do better than this other God, or I can whatever, this good God who is before everything, who created everything to be unified in himself. And that's the word in the beginning, there was this unification that happened, right? Everything that happened was unified in God, in the very character of who he was. And then he created his kind of crown, his crown creation, right, in humans, in people, he created humans in his own image, unified together. He was their God, and they were his people. And as you guys know the story, there was a terrible, false, deceitful inception that came into the minds of people that God is actually holding back from you. That humans could be so much more than just humans, right? You could actually be like God yourselves. So we're introduced to this incredible kind of burden upon the people all of a sudden called sin, right? We read this in the first couple of pages of the Bible, and God knew about this sin. The first humans very much knew this sin. And what happened is all of a sudden everything was disunified. Everything was kind of broken, cracked, not this good relationship anymore. Creation was plagued now by this sin. 
and humans caused to now have to decide for themselves what was good or evil, causing rifts and divisions based on biases, feelings, motives, beliefs, and the trajectory of this, and we see this today, has often led towards self-destruction. So as the natural consequences, as we read in our scripture, the natural consequences of humans, thinking they know best, takes effect. We have a story after story after story where God's ancient people fall short of bringing glory to God. Okay, we have that, lots and lots of examples of that. But here's the thing, just to remind us all, and I have to remind myself this, the Bible isn't about that. The Bible isn't about human failure, right? The Bible is about a good and faithful creator God. Uh, he's like a good father to his children. The Bible is about a good and faithful creator God who is like a good, faithful husband to a bride. A good God who promised, covenanted himself with a people no matter what they did. That's the scriptures, that the God is faithful, not that humans messed up. This faithful God saves his people constantly, intervening and sovereignly protecting and preserving this Abrahamic family throughout the generations, over and over and over again. When you read the stories, you're like, God, why don't you leave your people? You know, why? Like they failed again and again, and it should just wow us with how merciful, how consistent God was. And then we get to Mount Sinai, right? And again, none of this should be new. If you know the scriptures, you know the story of Exodus, you get to Mount Sinai, God gives his people this law. But it might be different than when you and I hear a law, it might be different than this. It wasn't just a set of rules to follow, right? It was a way to recognize and come to grips with the gravity of this now burden of sin, to understand that there is a sinful bent that we have. See, another falsehood of this sin is that it, it blinds you to sin. You can't always recognize what is sin, and that's part of the fall of deciding for ourselves what is good and evil. We're told later in the New Testament, we're going to get into this, Galatians chapter 3, why then the law? It was added because of sin, because of transgressions. The law was added so that sin could be recognized for what it was and not just slip back into sounding like truth, sounding a lot and similar to something like truth. Now, I want to take a break real quick. I've been reading um, John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress to, to my son. I mean, you guys all read it. Probably it's been around for a long time. Uh, it's, it's old English. It's like, it's pretty hardcore. So uh, I believe her name's Helen Taylor. She wrote about 60 years ago, wrote kind of like more of a children's version, which is totally my speed. And, uh, and it's a little bit more simple. You can kind of read it, whatever. But, it, but I just want to take a pause real quick. Okay, so if, you're, if, you're, if you've read it before, you remember that the little Christian boy, it starts out, it's kind of two halves, right? It follows little Christian boy, and then it follows this girl, Christiana, and, uh, and the story's incredible, right? And it follows this little boy, little Christian, and he wants to go see the good king, but he has this long journey ahead of him, and he has this incredible burden on his back. But all of his supposed friends in the city, they think he's crazy because they can't see the burden. They're like, what are you talking about? There's nothing on your back. There's no burden. And he's constantly weighed down by this burden. So he feels this burden every day. And later in the narrative, he runs into this boy, and the boy's name is Worldly. And Worldly tells him of a village that they actually created where they didn't want to do the journey. It was too long. It was too burdensome to go to the celestial city, the king's city. So they just made their own city, 
and said, this is it, this is fine, you can go here and you'll forget about your burdens in a little bit. And they have this interaction. It's actually a chapter of the book, it's a short chapter, don't worry, don't fall asleep. Um, But I just want to read it for us. Is that you, little Christian? Worldly said. You're a long way from the city. Worldly was a tall, fine-looking boy, and little Christian felt pleased to be noticed by him. So he answered at once, I'm going to the wicked gate. The wicked gate? What for? To get rid of my burden. Oh, of course, replied Worldly. I know those burdens are tiresome things. It isn't everybody who can feel them, but when you do feel them, there's no comfort for you till they're gone. Little Christian was surprised to hear Worldly speak in this way, for the boys and girls in the city had all laughed at him and had declared that his burden was only imaginary. I hope I shall not have to carry it very much longer, he said. I'm making haste to the wicked gate. Who put it in your head to go there? asked Worldly. I met a very kind man named Evangelist, and he told me to go. Worldly laughed. He may be very kind, but he's very stupid. Excuse my language. I know him quite well. Look here, little Christian. I can tell you a much better way of losing your burden. Don't you trouble to go all that way on one journey? Yes, you see, I know exactly what Evangelist said to you. He tells everyone the same thing. You've been in that horrid slew already, and if you go through the wicked gate, you'll find worse troubles than that. There's wild beasts and all sorts of dangers, and very likely you will just die of hunger and fatigue. But my burden is so heavy, sighed little Christian. I must get rid of it. And Evangelist said that this was the best way. Well, of course you can do as you like, replied Worldly, but I think you are very silly. How'd you ever know that you had a burden at all? I read it in the king's book that everyone has a burden. I thought so. That book is all very well for clever grown-up people, but little boys like you can't understand it. You read it, you don't know what it means, and you just get your head full of nonsense. Now I'll tell you what to do. I wouldn't go back to the city because you will always feel frightened, and it really isn't a very nice place to live. If I were you, I should go around the hill to the village. I have some friends living in the first house you come to, and if you tell them I sent you, they will take you in and be as kind as possible. Then in a few days, you'll forget all about your burden, and I don't suppose you will ever feel it again. Little Christian felt puzzled. Worldly spoke so kindly that he could scarcely help believing what he said, and he thought it would be very nice to live near his old home and be able to see Christiana sometimes. You can't do better than take my advice, continued Worldly. Never mind, Evangelist. That is the way, past the hill. You can't mistake the house because it's the first you come to. Then he put his hands in his pockets and walked off, whistling a merry tune. And little Christian forgot all about the king and his message and turned away from the wicked gate to go to the village beyond the hill. If you know the story, this does not end up well (laughs) for little Christian. Nothing turns out to be true except what the king and his book tells him. Bunyan here does a masterful commentary on the nature of sin. Once you hear, see, feel, and believe that there is a burden, you can't unhear, see, or feel it. There can be temporary distractions for a time and ways to cope that don't feel as heavy, but that burden is still there. It is the acknowledgement of the brokenness that happened so long ago And this is crucial. If there's no acknowledgement of sin, there's no need for salvation. Sure, things might not be ideal, but as Worldly's advice stated, you just have to surround yourself with good things and good feelings, and your acknowledgement of that burden will just go away, and you can live a life distracted just enough to not notice it. But we're told in our scriptures, this is what's so powerful about that, that, that's, uh, scene in the story, 
that that distraction leads to destruction, that that's the only path that that goes. Sin is not something to turn a blind eye to. Acknowledgement of the gravity of sin is actually vital to relationship with God because where sin brings darkness and death, God is light and life. So now humans have this natural bent towards sin, aided by desires of the flesh, encouraged by worldly values, and of course there's a spiritual battle happening every day for our worship and attention. It's a lot to handle. How do we even survive? How on earth are humans ever going to represent their creator God well and get back to that state of unity again? And we've seen so far in our, in our scriptural study, kind of where we're at, that we've, we've seen creation and then this move towards decreation, kind of, kind of breaking everything that God has created. And so then the only hope then would be recreation, to get back to the created state. There's a need for humans to be remade or recreated. Physically, this can't really happen on this earth, but at a spirit level, that then they'd be transformed from the inside out. So God, these are one of my two favorite prophecies in the Old Testament. They're worth memorizing. They are worth repeating over and over. God's saying, one day I will remake a people with a new heart and a new spirit. This first one is Ezekiel 36. He speaks through this prophet to his people. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This grand vision for God to remake his world through remaking his people with a new heart, with a new spirit, not starting over, but restoring and redeeming his people from the inside out. This is so necessary. The people of God have had a long history of trying to clean up their act on the outside, but it just never truly changes anyone. Have anyone in here ever tried that? <laughs> right? We try it every New Year's. <laughs> right? The corruption just always finds its way out. It ekes its way out. And instead of just having everyone in the scriptures weighed down by their burdens, God, through his law, gave the people a system to help, a sacrificial system. You read this all over the Old Testament. The sacrificial system was created to atone for this sin burden and to have ways to consistently practice repentance and renewal. However, it was always meant to be temporary. Again, the idea of law and sacrifice was to acknowledge sin for being what it was and that it was not good. It was not part of the created goodness. It was not good. Now we get to God's great plan, and to make this more of a permanent state for his people, we get to the prophet Jeremiah. When the people of God are at a low point, because of their sin and the consequences of it, they've continued to break their end of the covenant with God. And due to their not listening or obeying God in his ways, they're being besieged by this great worldly power of Babylon, about to be utterly destroyed and lose everything. This is my second favorite prophecy. God now speaks to his people through Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Just sit in the magnitude of that. I will remember their sin no more. See, up until now, there was a law outside of them that they were to follow and practice that was training them to recognize sin and to renounce ungodliness. But it's almost like their sin inside of them kept outweighing their sacrifices. But God says, now I will put that law not as something to do, but as a people to be. That law that is God's law, God's way, God's truth is back to God in love and goodness, leading his people in what is good and evil, not for his people to decide for themselves. This is back to Eden language, right? Back to this unification, and he will remember their sins no more. We want more of this. And this requires the ultimate sacrifice to end all of the sacrificial systems so that the spirit of God that is so desperately needed can be unleashed upon his people. And who better to usher in this new way of life, this new kingdom, than the King himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, born like a man to bring about the start of this incredible act of God to remake his people. And as you read that up until this point, all corruption had come through Adam. Paul writes this brilliantly in Romans 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus corrected it. Jesus recreated it. Jesus lived and modeled the obedient life to the way of God. And right before his death, he gives this incredible prayer in John 17. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they, speaking of his disciples, are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right? Sin de-unified creation with their God, but with the new covenant of grace through Christ Jesus, the new spirit that God has given to those who believe, there can now be, again, a unified people where he is God and we are his people. Now, understanding what this recreation, this restored people can mean for us, we get to the passage that Whitney read. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Through Christ, God did what he said he would do. For anyone who acknowledges the burden that is sin, 
comes to the cross, recognizing Jesus as Lord, receiving forgiveness of sins, has had their burden, this old heart of stone removed and this new spirit of life blessed upon them, has now had God's law not now written on their hearts. They are now reconciled back to God. This is incredible. Like, just sit in that. This is, it's insane to think that Jesus did it. I know a lot of us, like, we get that, we understand it, but Jesus really, truly, if you believe in him, in Christ, reconciled us back to that unified state. That's that right there. Like, we should end, I have more to say, but we should end and just, like, praise God for that. It's insane. 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not only did God make this reconciliation available to us, but he did this for us so now we can carry the good news of what's happened to us onto others. We don't just start whatever ministry we think sounds fun or great or whatever. We look at the ways God has reconciled us back to him, restored us back through his grace to be his people again, and we offer that same opportunity for others. He has trusted his renewed, restored people now to be good news messengers for the opportunity to see God restoring the world back to himself. Little pockets of Eden here and there, heaven touching earth, as he says, on earth as it is in heaven. And there are places where that reality of on earth as it is in heaven should be strongest. And this is what we believe should be core to the DNA of the church. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we who are in Christ are ambassadors for Christ, make God making his appeal through us. Okay, real quickly, all know about ambassadors. An ambassador is a ranking representative stationed in a foreign capital or country. So a lot of us are Americans. There might be some other nationalities in here. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you are heirs to his kingdom, first and foremost. That is what you represent. When we come together and gather to proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ as the one who unburdened us of the weight of sin and gave us a ministry to tell others of this incredible truth, there's a powerful expression of God's light on his world. Using ambassadorial language, then, if we think of churches as our embassies, right? These are the embassies of heaven on earth. Would that change how you view church? Right? Would that change how it should feel for someone walking in from the world to walk into a space that's supposed to be an, an embassy full of ambassadors of a whole new reality, a whole different way to live? Who could walk in here and feel welcomed? Not who should, but who could? Who could I mean, how, how many times is someone afraid to walk into a church? How, how often, maybe some of us here, it's like you walk in and immediately the oppression of like, oh, God knows what I thought last night, or like they're going to judge me, or I don't look the certain way or whatever. You know, we were, we were editing our website uh, to try to, to we're still, it's, don't go to it, it still needs some work, but um, <laughs> I mean, you can go to it, but it, we're trying to, we're trying it. Austin's on vacation, so we can't do anything. Um, but 
as we were editing it, we noticed like in one of the blurbs, it was like, well, what should I wear? You know, and like, I haven't thought about that too much, you know, like, like your Sunday best, what does that mean anymore? What should I wear? And you know, we're like, oh, should we put casual, whatever, things like that. There's so much stigma that comes with church. There's so much just like, what is this? What are the, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, man, but to think about the world and the values of the world and the coldness and the just, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that happens, but the true spiritual value of the world to feel like, man, but my pursuit of finances, my pursuit of success, my pursuit of this person or this job or this whatever is just not quite filling that void. What is that thing? And to walk in here and no matter what's going on in life, to be loved and to be welcomed and say, hey, come out, come in from the cold, be warm, be fed, and let me tell you about a good king. Let me tell you about someone who loves you and desires you and wants you and can fill that, that void, that thing that you're try, we're trying to fill. So I like to imagine an emissary group from heaven, whatever comes to your mind. It could be glowing people, it could be aliens, I don't know, whatever. Whatever comes to your mind from heaven, if they came to Albany and they said, hey, for you who are weary and burdened, we planted a spot, there's a good king who will come in, wants to remove your weary, burdened heart, give rest to you, and if you enter into this space, you can't help but worship this God and encourage one another as you are being lifted up and encouraged. That's, to me, that's mind-blowing. Like, that's like, yes, I would be there in a second. I would try to be there as much as I possibly could. That's exactly what God came to be for us, right? God didn't wait for us to clean up. We just went through the whole Christmas narrative, and we all know it, and it's not just for one day a year. It's for every day. That in our messiness, God just didn't wait for us to clean up. In our messiness, God came to be in the messiness. To bring salvation to the sick is what Jesus says, right? Not to those who think they're fine. He came for the ones who are very aware of their sin, very aware of their burdens. So the church, this embassy for those representing heaven on earth, it's a place for people who are burdened right? This is when the message of the cross can be for those who are weary and burdened. And if you go back and you read, I would encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress. When little, I didn't write it down, but when little Christian is going to the cross, as he's going up this hill and everything, he's feeling it so heavy, he feels the straps start to loosen and it falls off and it rolls down the hill into a tomb, which is just so cool. This is the message. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. And 21, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To use our shared language today, he who had no burden removed your burden, taking it upon himself so that you and I could walk in freedom of new life. In Hub City Church, this is what we believe. This is what we believe it means to be restored back to God and to become a follower of Jesus in this long history and line of God restoring his people. To believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for our sins to give us new life in the Spirit that is everlasting. That is the theology behind Jesus restoring us and our city of Albany and our nation and our world. And that is why our vision is uncompromisingly Jesus 
restore Albany. This is what we want to see. These are our, this is our vision, our values, our prayer, this is, and partnering with God and bringing that restoration power to the city he sent us to be ambassadors to. And hopefully that stokes a fire inside you. Hopefully it's like, yes, this is why, it's not new, but it's just a good reminder of this is why we are here. This is why we're part of this. But there's more. The question can be asked, how can we know this is happening, though? That's a great prayer, and that's a great vision, but how can we know? How can we partner with God? What can we do with such a large endeavor? And it is. I love that looking up there saying, like, you and I can't do that. That's God. But he can, he can work in and through us, and we can surrender ourselves to that. So then we have our mission. Our vision is what we want to see, our values, our prayer. God, yes, we're in step with that. But then there's a mission. What can we do? How can we, boots on the ground, see about this? And as this has been laid out in years and years and years, and, uh, and they're actually plastered back there, and we haven't talked about it in a while, but we just, there's these three practices, right? These three rhythms that we want to filter everything through, and it's just three simple words. Send, gather, and serve. So let's walk through this real fast. Send. We've already talked about this a bit, but we believe that we are all here on purpose, that you and I were called to the faith to then represent that faith as an ambassador for God through the message of Christ Jesus. If we think of Albany as that, quote, foreign land for us to which we were sent, what's crazy is this is also our home, right? We're not here, most of us aren't here on leave. We're not here for a, you know, a couple stint of a, of a time. Like, this is our home. And how powerful is it to think that those who were sent to this city to represent God's kingdom were also restored from this very city? How much more passion should we have for Albany? It's often thought, too, that like the gathered church, like this is the, the primary focus. This is where we're at. And it's the church who sends us out. But we would argue that you were already sent. You've already been sent the moment you believed in Christ Jesus as Lord and became a part of the larger family of God. Here we believe that the city of Albany isn't sent to church, but that the church was sent to the city of Albany. Jesus prayed for this for his followers. John 17, as you sent me into the world, so likewise I have sent them into the world. God restored you and me to then be a light in your home, your neighborhoods, your workplace, wherever you find yourself in the world. You are sent to continue the witness of Jesus through you. But it's not just about you. And it's not just about me. We are not alone. We are a gathered people. That's the second word, gather. And, and real briefly, I, I love bonfires. Any other fire fans in here? Yeah. I love, I just will burn everything. Like, it's probably, it's probably unsafe, but it's one of my favorite things to do is just to watch the flames burn. Maybe I need counseling. I probably do. When I'm done with the fire and I need to head back inside, I don't like pouring water onto it or anything like that. Um, I separate the logs. I just separate them, right? And they're, they're almost like, I usually wait, and they're almost done. But what happens? They die out quickly because then they're consumed in themselves, and the fire goes out. Being on fire for God individually is where it starts, right? That is just something that you have to do. On an individual basis, you have to come to the foot of the cross, kneel, and accept Jesus as Lord. But the stoking of that flame, the continual encouragement happens, we believe, in community, right? Yes, where there's all the amazing rhythms, getting into the Word daily, reading, or prayer, silence, and solitude, all the rhythms you can do will help, 
but we believe the gathering of God's people to encourage and build up one another while we worship our God is the God-given way to stoke that fire. And there's many models for this, and this is not a perfect model, but the values of the early church in Acts 2 are what we want to hold fast to. Let me read it real fast and just try to pick out the values. We obviously have to translate it to our own time. But Acts 2, 42 to 47, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It sounds so simple, right? But you start looking at those values. I mean, we just had a a season where possessions and stuff may have accumulated, right? Selling possessions. No one was in need. That's wild, right? And, and the apostles' teaching to us, that's the, that's the compiled word of God, the scriptures, being under the scriptures. It's incredible. The concept of anyone who, could, who would consider themselves a part of this community would have all things in common and would be provided for any as had need is mind-blowing, especially in our nuclear family society where we have what we need and we kind of keep it close. We love boundaries. We love our own privacy. Like, that's just who we are. But there is, a, there is a call to something else. There is a call to give out. There is a call to be incredibly generous. It inspires me when I read it. And that, those are the values that we as a church and the gather want to adhere to. Which leads to our final word of our mission of making sure we're doing our part and seeing this vision manifested in Albany, and that's serve. This, of course, means we care about and serve one another. As modeled in Jesus in his life, he said, Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. So if the Son of Man, the Savior, Jesus Christ, humbled himself and came to earth to serve, and we confess he is Lord of our lives, then that's what we are to do, to love one another for sure, and to love those outside our walls right? We put on the attitude of a servant so that whoever we come in contact with, we can serve. Regardless of their status in life, regardless of beliefs, we can humble ourselves, serve in whatever way we can, trusting that God's Spirit is guiding us in the best way. So to kind of sum up here, here at Hub City, our vision, our values, our prayer is Jesus Restore Albany. And then our mission to do our part to make sure the rhythms we do as a church and the ways we practice this vision are filtered through the rhythms of send, gather, and serve. And church, like, I hope this inspires us. I hope today it's like, yes, we, we buy in, that this isn't just new, and I'm going to go home and think about it, but this is something like, yes, this sparks something in me, the kind of people we want to be. 
Of course, we have all different ways to get involved, and I'm not going to go into them. We have hub communities. Please be involved in that. You, it's so good to be known. It's so hard on an hour on a Sunday, one day a week, to really be known and to know other people. So please get involved. We can talk more about that at a different time. We have cohorts to go deeper in discipleship. We have ways to serve inside the church, making coffee, kids, youth, all sorts of things. We have ways to serve outside the church. Absolutely, there's a plethora of ways we could serve. Right? There's so many things, but if we can just not lose sight of the why and the heart behind anything that we do, then we will know we're in step with what God has for this community. And at the end of the day, when you experience, which many of us have, the good news of the King who takes away the burdens of sin and gives new life in Himself, it's not our secret to keep. Right? It's a story to be shared. You and I have the opportunity to unburden a lot of people who some aren't even aware of the weight that they carry. And we can carry that message with joy. Right? So today we get to respond. And you know how we do it. We respond with singing praises to God. Prayer individually with your neighbor. Uh, I'll be in the back. We'd love to just pray with you. Right? We give of our finances. We give of those treasures to say, hey, I'm not, I'm whole, I don't want to be open a closed fist with this. I want to give to the community so that we can be in common good for everyone, that everyone that comes in has a need, we can have something to be able to give them. And then, of course, centering around the Lord's table. All of this, and this is, this is as, just as big as the vision, all of this is that first word, Jesus. Jesus and the cross, and the cross, coming to reconcile us back to God. What does our pastor say? He who knew no sin became sin so that we now could worship as the righteousness of God. I want to read uh, my favorite Bible verse. My uncle asked me when I was like 11 what my life verse was, and I just randomly thought, and I said this, I said, Titus 2. <laughs> Don't know where it came from, I have no idea. And he was like, no way, and then we read it, and it has become <laughs> my life verse. And it's incredible, and I think it actually summarizes like everything that I'm trying to say, but I think that God has us for today. So I want to read this, I want to pray, and let's respond. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's my prayer for this church and for us today. Let's pray and let's worship our God.